0: I've long thought if there's one building in Europe I'd like to see, it's Antoni Gaudi's Sagrada Familia Church in Barcelona, finished. I didn't think I'd live to see the day. It seems so far off. But progress has been fast, and now the finish line is actually coming into view. 2026, the 100th anniversary of the great architect's death. Art historian Geis van Hensbergen has written a biography of Gaudi, He also chronicles Gaudí's struggles to make his vision become real in his newest book. It's a vivid account of the history of the church, Sagrada Familia. Guys, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me on your show, Rick.
0: This is an audacious construction project. Can you give us a context of of how the great church in Barcelona by Gaudí evolved to be this iconic symbol of the city today?
1: Well, in 1882, it was a a private devotion for the Holy Family. It was a time in Europe and I think also in America where lots of religious groups were trying to deal with the problems of the Industrial Revolution and kind of social change. And one of the Catholic ideas was to build around the notion of the family, the patriarchal figure of Joseph then being the model of perhaps a, a manager or perhaps the head of the family that the perfect family had already arrived, of course, 2,000 years ago, and around that to make a devotion, which rapidly took off. And they found enough money, uh, went to the Vatican, asked permission and a blessing, and the Pope gave his blessing. And in 1882, the first stone was laid, but it wasn't Gaudi. It was a man called Villar Ilozano, who decided to make kind of standard uh, neo-Gothic church, bigger than normal because the devotion was very popular and it was only after a year when he started having a battle with the board of the devotion that they finally released him and said look we're not going to get anywhere with this and they start looking for somebody else and apparently the head of the devotion Mr. Bocabelli a very strange eccentric book dealer had a dream that night that a ginger-haired blue-eyed man would come to the rescue And he walks into an architectural studio, and right at the back he sees a ginger-haired, blue-eyed, 31-year-old. I think he must have actually known him. But Ah. anyway, he goes, and sure enough, Gaudí, from being an assistant in a studio, accepts the largest commission in Spain at the time. It was a kind of... A total shock, I think. They knew that he was very talented. He'd done very well at architectural school. He'd helped out with other architects sorting out problems. And his genius was not yet fully realized, but he was somebody who was passionate about fulfilling the job. And there was a problem because he had the footprint of the previous build to deal with. And so it was kind of him working through tactically as well as stylistically, I think, how he could make this building really his own. So this was quite radical. It
0: was a huge change from the status quo, which was pretty tired, really. Just this whole neo-Gothic, neo-Romanesque stuff is just rehashing stuff that Europe's done over past centuries. Gaudi
1: took this in a direction nobody had gone before. Absolutely. But I mean, it was again, it was a slow burning fuse. And I think he was very tactical about this. He finished off the crypt. He didn't want to scare away his mm-hmm. um, patrons. And so he carried on in the style that they thought of. And then it was really once the crypt was finished, once the ceiling was put over and it could be used as a parish church, that I think he'd kind of bought himself space and time to actually start working on the great Sagrada Familia basilica that we see today, an astonishing feat of both engineering, the idea of people waiting for so long to see something finished. That's a medieval kind of thing, isn't it? I mean,
0: the Notre Dame in Paris, it took nearly 200 years, and people invested all their energy into it, knowing they would not live to see it completed. In the 20th century, we're not that patient. And for this to be embarked upon, knowing it would take longer than Gaudi's lifetime, and it's 100 years later, it's still being worked on. In a way, it's exciting to have a a church that's a a many-generation construction project.
1: Absolutely. And, um, I mean, Gaudi said to somebody, my client, he's not in a hurry. God waited 400 years for the Cathedral of Seville. In fact, the cathedral in Barcelona in the old city, the original Gothic cathedral, starting in the 1200s with Romanesque footings over a Roman temple and a Visigothic church, And it still wasn't finished in 1900 when Gaudi Mm. was working and starting the Sagrada Familia. That's 700 years. Now, this church, the Gaudi church in Barcelona, the Sagrada Familia, which means
0: the Sacred Family Church, there seems to be a real push to get it done by 2026, which is, as I mentioned, the 100th anniversary of the death of the architect Gaudi. And they're getting a lot of money because it's expensive to tour it and every day— it's sold out. You can complain about the admission price, but it's fun because you're part of this funding, this amazing project. What's your take on fast-tracking the finish, and do you think they'll make it by 2026? And what has enabled them to move it along so quickly?
1: The first thing is is obviously the money and the support. It's the most visited site in Spain, even more than the Prado, even more than the Alhambra in Granada. And so we've got up to 4.5 million people paying, what, 2025 20, euros entrance fee of which most of that goes to continue the speeding up of the process. I think the other major difference, apart from the money, is that the techniques that are being now used, uh, laser cutters, computer programming, the CAD designs which were used on computers to build Concorde, which Frank Gehry used in Bilbao on the Guggenheim, that is all now being employed to use and finish and pulling in great engineering firms like Arabs as well, international firms mm. who are advising. And Jodie Fowley, who is now, the I think, the fifth architect after Gaudi to work on the building, is someone who's very, very accustomed to working with the new innovations. And it would be fascinating if Gaudi was still alive because I suspect he would also be totally inspired by... The idea of being able to speed up and see things in 3D even before you, you know, using models rather than 2D drawings. Well,
0: guys, that is one interesting issue. There's no copies of Gaudi's original plans, I understand, and uh, we have a good sense of where he wanted to go with it. But I think he was comfortable with the fact that it would evolve with the later architects and evolve over time, because now we can envision the way the church will be finished. Do you think it is true to Gaudi's original vision? uh, And do you think Gaudi would be happy with it?
1: I mean, in a general sense, I think it is true to his vision. Of course, second day of the Spanish Civil War, July the 20th, 1936, anarchists break into the Sagrada Familia. They smash up all the models. They burn all the papers. They trash the studio. There is very little left apart from that after the Spanish Civil War ends, architects and archaeologists go in there and start slowly re-piecing things. It's Hmm. kind of almost like the archaeology of the future, thinking of what we can do that is true to Gaudi. But we do have, and this is something which not many Gaudi scholars have used before, but is to go back to original books that were there in the Sagada Familia archives that survived the fires. Mm -hmm. And we see sketches and drawings and the general idea of what Gaudi wanted. And I think in that sense, in a very broad, sweeping way, it is true to his philosophy and also his engineering kind of pattern and, Mm -hmm. and the logic behind it, because... Gaudi was the great inventor of things, or not the great inventor, but the person who, who used the catenary arch, that arch which is have a chain, drop it, and it's like the form of an egg. If you then turn it the other way around, it's a very economical form. I mean, we always talk of Gaudi the visionary, Gaudi the architect, but I think Gaudi the engineer is actually where the real genius lies.
0: This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with art historian and biographer Geis van Hensbergen. And Geis tells the remarkable stories that have gone into nearly 140 years of construction on Barcelona's architectural masterpiece. His book about the most exciting church built in our lifetime is the Sagrada Familia. Geis also leads specialty food and art tours in Spain. We have links to his website with the notes for this week's show at ricksteves.com radio. Guys, I just mentioned that it's the most exciting church built in
1: our lifetime. Do you buy that? I absolutely do. I started working on the Gaudi biography, ooh, 20 years ago. It took me 10 years of research because of papers being burnt and damaged or whatever to reconstruct his life. Mm -hmm. And so I would be there in the Sagrada Familia, gosh, once a week sometimes, three days in a week another time, and just watched it. And I can still remember thinking— and listening to the critique of other architects and saying, you know, we should never finish this. We should never try to out-Gaudi-Gaudi. Or why not just leave it as this kind of very romantic ruin, which is true to Gaudi himself, the one bit that he saw. And I had a sympathy with that philosophy or, or those ideas. But now in the last few years, the staggering kind of almost emotional experience as you walk in from the outside and the space and the light kind of explodes above your head. It blows you away walking from outside where all the tourists are gawking,
0: stepping inside, and the lines just take your eyes right up to the ceiling. For our listeners who may not have an image of the Sagrada Familia, we all know what a Gothic church looks like. Can you just describe exterior and interior, paint a picture with words, what this church, this Gaudi vision towering over Barcelona looks like?
1: Well, we've got to remember that it's still only half the height of how it's going to be in 2026. So that's eight years away. And we've still got to double the height with towers. So I mean, that's already kind of mind boggling. But then when you start looking at it, and you're standing outside the church, and you go to the facade, the nativity facade, which is the one that Gaudi worked on, we've got this huge facade which almost leans over you. And if you stand underneath it, you feel this kind of sense that it might even fall down and crush you and that you're a tiny little insect in the world looking up at this extraordinary multicoloured facade with sculptures all over it and there's chickens and there's geese running around. And when then you realise actually why they look so real is because Gaudi actually went out, chloroformed the geese and set them in plaster, and then once he got the mould, broke open the mould, let the bird fly free again, and so you get this incredible mixture between human figures, and you even get a fishing boat halfway up on the left. You could spend days actually looking there and seeing new details as I've done, I've spent years doing it. There's an organic quality to it,
0: even if you look at the spires. As you mentioned, the the ultimate central spire will go twice as tall as the existing ones, but even the existing ones, they're huge, and they glitter with tiles and, and organic designs. Our guest on Travel with Rick Steves is Geis van Hensbergen. He's an expert on the art, food, and history of Spain. He tells the story of the unusual church that's being completed in Barcelona with Gaudí's stunning modernista design. It's in his book, The Sagrada Familia. Guys, you were describing the impression the church makes on you. It's organic, plus it mixes in this wonderful modernisme technique of putting in colored tiles with the stonework. Can you describe modernisme, first of all, because that's this art nouveau kind of style that is unique to Catalan, and then say how that shows itself in Gaudí's design of this church.
1: Modernisme, as you said, was the equivalent of Art Nouveau or Jugendstil. It was the style of the beginning of the 20th century, bringing nature into the city. And we're talking about industrialized cities like Barcelona. You've got stained glass with flowers and plants. You've got a building which is growing branches up the side of it. You've got all these lovely details as if you're in this kind of city paradise Mm. and dreaming almost of a kind of nostalgic way of thinking about what the countryside is oh, I like. I love that. And if you go up to the hilltop overlooking the church, the uh, Park Guell,
0: you can see you were talking about how we have the playfulness of nature worked into the architecture. Park Guell is just all about that, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. That was where he lived for about 25 years. It was a project that failed in that it was going to be a building 60 houses, and in the end it was only his and his patron, Mr. Guell, and a lawyer who had another house up on the hill. But the big spaces, these dance floor and the marketplace with its wonderful serpentine bench, all with these beautiful little mosaic broken tiles scattered around almost like Picasso's cubism had exploded along this 100 meter long bench that just kind of works like a snake around the edge of this big platform. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Geis van Hensbergen.
0: His book is The Sagrada Familia, talking about the iconic church by Antoni Gaudí that is becoming the visual symbol of the city of Barcelona. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. Allison's calling from Galveston in Texas. Allison, thanks for your call.
2: Thanks for having me. Um, A few years ago, I had gone to the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston and saw a documentary about the construction of the church. And I mean, it was just amazing. And so last year I went for my first time and I was just in awe the whole time I was there. Every corner you turned, it was, it was something new to see. It's definitely worth the money if you're interested in going. And it was really amazing. Hey,
0: Allison, did you use the audio guide when you went in?
2: Yes, I definitely would suggest using the audio guide, and I also did the tour of the towers. Oh, yeah. That was awesome because you get up close sight of some of those things that you can only otherwise only see from the ground.
0: Did you book it online or did you pay for it when you got there?
2: I booked it online way ahead of time.
0: You know, it's busy all year long. I feel so strongly about this. Number one, approach the Sagrada Familia like this is one site you're going to spend some time in. Take advantage, go up the elevators, use the audio guide, watch the videos, read a book. Spend some time there. Enjoy it inside and out. And while technically you can buy a ticket at the gate, you're very likely to come to the gate like I did last year. And the sign says, we're closed for the day because tickets are sold out. Come back tomorrow." You should approach the Sagrada Familia as if the only way to go in there is with an online ticket reserved well in advance. And then you'll waltz right in while thousands of people are being frustrated.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) Does that make sense, uh, guys? for just a strategy? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I feel very strongly about is don't rush to get inside. Yeah. Walk around the exterior, think about it a little bit, feel about what your emotions are to it, and Mm. then only then go inside, Mm. because it's that almost shock of coming from the outside Mm. into this extraordinary kind of, well, Gaudi wanted it to be his heaven on earth, Mm. and it's as close as you get to heaven, I think.
0: You know, I went just last year after I've been visiting ever since I was a kid, following the evolution of this amazing structure, and I was very surprised. There's a new way to see it. It's from across the reflecting pool from more of a distance, and it's just a delightful place that should be, I think, one of your first stops. It's from a distance a little bit, and you have got the reflecting pool between you and the church. It's really quite a striking new way to approach the church.
1: Absolutely, Rick. And I I think also the other thing which, I mean, people often don't have time, but you said spend a day or spend half a day there. Mm -hmm. I would then, even before going in, checking, of course, what your entrance time is, allow yourself some time to go downstairs into the crypt. You don't need a ticket for it. It's where Gaudi is buried. It's where Bocabella, the man who financed it, he's buried. It's the original build before Gaudi mm-hmm. really explodes. And it gives you an idea of the kind of history and the distance he traveled in his life stylistically. Good advice. And when you are looking
0: at the exterior, I, I was remarking about how great it is from across that pond. I understand that's not even the main entryway. There's a eminent domain concern or something about all of the condominiums that have been built that is in the approach gaudi hopes to have and i understand the city is still trying to find a way to buy out these people so they can clear out that area and have the proper front approach to the church what's the latest on that guys
1: well i think that's going to be very polemical when they the actual ground is owned by the sagrada familia they built these flats back in the 1960s mm-hmm. People bought them on the understanding that the flats were cheaper than normal, that when it was going to be finished, the properties would be taken back and knocked down and the space would be created for a bridge which would go over the street and you would enter over this kind of huge kind of entrance like going to the Paris Opera. The only problem was, of course, is those people thought that the end date was never going to happen. Like I did too in the 1980s. I never thought I'd see the end of this, but it's really fast-tracked. Absolutely. So, suddenly they're getting nervous. And equally, of course, it depends on who's in government at the time, because the present mayor of Barcelona is not necessarily hugely sympathetic to the Catholic mission of the Sagrada Familia. Well, we'll have to stay tuned for that, but it's really important from the big picture to have the
0: proper approach to this church that so much energy and time has been invested in. Hey, guys, when Ellison was approaching the church, as travelers do today— Is the facade they see, is that the nativity facade?
1: No, actually the entrance gate is on the other side, but they keep, that's another thing to make sure when you get there, arrive a good 15, 20 minutes before because they keep changing the entrance gate, which side to go into first, And that depends also on what's happening, of course, on the bill. So be sure you don't
0: miss the other side. But my understanding was Gaudi finished one of the facades very early as kind of
1: a marketing stunt so people could envision the final project and uh, help fund it. Yeah, I don't think it was so much a marketing stunt. I think what he wanted to do was kind of leave a stamp, uh, kind of the iconic front, Ah. uh, so that you could never think that you were going to do anything else, Uh uh, and that when we got round to it in generations to come, that we would see one side finished. Gaudi didn't actually see that side even finished in his lifetime. When he was run over by a tram in 1926, he only saw one of the four towers on that side finished. And I understand
0: Gaudi did not have a very um, fancy presence in public. He was often mistaken even
1: as a beggar. Absolutely. And, And often he was begging. He was, he was a uh, He'd guy. cross the road and ask you for some money for the Sagrada Familia. My goodness. But he was, he was someone who, who had kind of, at the end of his life, had really given up on anything to do. I think he saw himself almost like a kind of St. Francis figure. And today and, there's a movement to make him a saint. Absolutely, and it's getting very close. Many a rumor that is that the sainthood, the first patron saint of the arts in history, will be made in 2026, a hundred years after Gaudi died, Mm. serving the Catholic Church to create this work of genius, the Sagrada Familia. This is
0: Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Geis van Hensbergen. His book is The Sagrada Familia, and we're talking about that church, the church by Gaudi in Barcelona. Our phone number is 877-333-7425, and Molly's calling from Phoenix, Arizona. Molly, thanks for calling.
2: Thank you for having me. Uh, My husband and I visited Barcelona this past May, And one of the main things that we wanted to do was go to the Sagrada Familia. We had my parents with us. They were not able to make it when we bought our purchased, before we left, tickets scheduled. And so we went on our own. Two days later, we went back and spent some more time. And I started to notice the detail and how every portion of Jesus' life was taken into account throughout the building the thing that grabbed my attention on the nativity facade was the statue uh, with the Roman soldier killing a baby. I know that's terrible to say, but it reminded me of the part of the story we never talk about at Christmas, the slaughter of the innocents.
1: Yeah,
0: that's, I think Gaudí was really driven by the, his faith, and, and there's a lot of theology written in to his vision. Guys, talk a little bit about um, the theology of the architecture.
1: I mean, he wanted it to be a Bible in stone. And that particular detail that struck Molly is because it was also so realistic. He wanted to find a man who could look like a Roman soldier, so he got his workers to go out, scour the bars around Barcelona, and they found this huge guy who had six toes, six fingers, six, 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 the kind of sign of the devil, and he persuaded him to come along and model. And then more kind of... Today, it wouldn't be so shocking, but perhaps back in the late 19th century, he actually managed to get stillborn babies and cast them. So those children are actually the models of little children who died in Barcelona at the time that Gaudi was sculpting. Hmm. Gaudi felt very strongly that God's handiwork, i.e. creation, should not be improved upon and couldn't be improved upon. And so if you were absolutely realistic. You were echoing, in a sense, God's handiwork.
0: And you really feel that when you walk through the church. Everything is so lovingly thought through, even the furniture and the organ and the ornaments to the the architectural bones of the place.
2: The other thing that grabbed my attention is the floor just inside the door from the Passion Facade with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem.
0: And then the way the colors of the stained glass, uh, the, the sun shining through the stained glass, bring color to the floor and uh, directs your attention. And, and the columns are organic, like giant palm trees. And then the ribs in the ceiling spread out like branches. Uh, it seems like he was really inspired by creation. Geis, as an architect, did he find inspiration in nature that actually works from a architectural, structural point of view?
1: Absolutely. I mean, he, he said the, one of the greatest works of architecture in the world is a tree. Trees know where to put out branches. Mm. They know how to survive storms. They know how to grow in the right place and to create this beautiful canopy. And that's what he wanted, I think, to give an impression in a sense of walking into a man-made natural setting, mm-hmm. half cave, half temple extravagant, dramatic space which just soars over you to a massive height, 60 meters.
0: It's like a jungle canopy overhead with rays of sun coming through it. It's remarkable. Molly, thanks for your call. Thank you. And Brad's calling from Virginia. Brad, thanks for your call. Thank you very much for, for letting me uh, call
3: in. It's been a while since I've been to uh, Barcelona, and I was stationed in Germany or uh, Europe twice, Germany mostly. I've seen a lot of churches, but the Sagrada Familia had such an impact on me. I spent about four hours just sitting on a bench by the wall and just watching how the light moved mm-hmm. across the floor, and it would highlight different features that Gaudi had uh, constructed. And just now I heard you talking about how the uh, the columns were like a giant tree, and I think of a large tree as a place of uh, shelter. And I think he meant for the cathedral to be a place of spiritual shelter, and you get this feeling that my life is just one part of the continuance of this long progression of the human story and gaudi to his credit understood that uh, that his time there was limited that he would not see it completed and i was so impressed that he left one wall on the outside blank for those who would come after so that it would continue to the story if you will would would uh, would continue and not end with his vision, but his vision would just be something that others after him would build upon.
0: Boy, that's very interesting to think of his theology and his personal philosophy and his ideas about how this would grow with, through the ages. Geist, does that make any sense to you?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we, we've got to remember that it, when it was first starting to be built, it was actually an expiatory temple which meant that the idea is that there was so much sin in the world that we needed a temple where if we were involved in any way giving money or working on it, it would pay for the sins of ourselves and our family because we're all sinners. And the idea that by praying in this space, it would kind of release us from sin and hopefully if we prayed enough, we would find our place in heaven. Do you think if Gaudi came in there today, the church is consecrated, there's masses going
0: on, I would love to get into his head when he's sitting there looking at how people have taken his vision and then in good faith moved forward with it.
1: I think he would be actually quite shocked in a positive way at how popular he had Mm. become. I mean... I think what what would also surprise him is is that you stand outside the Sagrada Familia, you're in the queue, you're surrounded by Russians, Chinese, Mm. Japanese, Brazilians, people from all over the world, all speaking their different languages, almost like the Tower of Babel. Mm. They're coming there, and he seems, through a very approachable and dramatic style, to talk and speak to so many different types of people. Hey, Brad, thanks for your call.
3: You're very welcome. Bye-bye.
1: And Joshua's calling in
0: from Chicago. Joshua, thanks.
3: Hello. The first time that I went to Sagrada Familia, I actually arrived on Christmas morning, and I got to experience the sunrise Mm. over the Nativity Facade. It was a pretty spectacular Mm. kind of experience. As an architect, it was... uh, a place that I've always wanted to experience and that made it even more dramatic and spectacular for me.
0: As an architect, that's setting the bar pretty high to envision a building that would be groundbreaking that nobody had ever done, that would resonate with people and a uh, hundred years later, you'd have people coming from all across the planet to see it, to be inspired by it. For people that didn't go there to worship, to find themselves worshiping when they step inside.
3: Oh, absolutely. It To this day is probably one of my favorite buildings that I've ever uh, experienced. It just, Mm. you walk into it and it just has this amazing spiritual quality to
0: it. When I step into a church, I want to be touched. I I want to feel a spiritual impact. I want to be inspired. I want to take a moment and be thoughtful. And a few churches do that. And of course, uh, we're having just a Gaudi love fest here because uh, the Sagrada (laughs) Familia does it as good as any place uh, I can imagine. Oh,
3: absolutely an experience. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Joshua, and I hope that you can go back when the, the church is actually completely finished also. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It is remarkable, guys, how, how one church can have such an impact and it's not even finished yet.
1: That, you know, signals the genius of Gaudi. And I think what's also interesting, you say when you go into a church, you look for spirituality, for that moment of silence, for that moment of recollection or, or thinking about your nearest and dearest or thinking about the Lord. What I find interesting is is that Sagrada Familia also works for atheists and for agnostics. They still feel this extraordinary spirituality, and I think that is something which is very unusual. And I just love that because there's so much
0: divisiveness, and I'm a Christian and you're not, or I'm a Muslim and you're a Jew, And and you go there and it's just we're all together you can see us as children of God or you can see us as just creatures in the jungle but you've got this beautiful bit of stone and glass put together by an artistic genius a hundred years ago (laughs) and and it's one of the great joys of being able to get out and explore this world Geis van Hensbergen, thank you so much for sharing your passion and expertise on uh, the greatest church built in our lifetime
1: and thank you for inviting me on your program
2: Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.